You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to episode four of the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with my usual partner in crime, Matt Hartwell. Matt, how you doing? I'm feeling uh, uneventful, man. I mean, it was a slow bye week for me. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then uh, we've got a very special guest on the show today as well, Trevor McHugh with Maize and Blue Review. Trevor, how are you? Doing well. Little like Matt, but I am tired. We did every fall family activity imaginable yesterday, so five-year-old wore me out. No football, but yeah, feeling it today. <laughs> I tricked my wife, actually, because right. I went to her and I was like, hey, weather's going to be great this weekend. Let, let's go do the pumpkin thing. Let's do all that stuff. And she's just like, Michigan's not playing, are they? And I'm like, oh, you know what? I think you're right. They do have a bye this week. Honestly, uh, very, <laughs> very relatable to Trevor. It's so here. funny. We packed in all of that Halloween slash fall stuff yesterday. The corn maze, the pumpkin patch, the mm-hmm. pumpkin carving. Uh, my wife said the same thing, like, is it a bye week? <laughs> so, very relatable statement, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not outsmarting her, so. <laughs> yeah, and I know you guys can relate to, like, when, when off-season, uh, like, wedding plans or something get proposed to you, the first thing you do is scroll through the schedule and figure out, like, what games are going on, like, is it a bye week or not, before you make those commitments. That's the nice thing about this Rivals gig now, though. Babe, I got to work. I, I got to work that yeah. Saturday. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> so it's, it hasn't oh, yeah, worked a couple man. times, but I'm, I'm definitely using it a little bit more now. <laughs> well, yeah, you're living the dream, man. Monetizing Michigan football, right? It's the ultimate excuse to geek out on Michigan, man. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, I tell you what. Typically, like I was telling you uh, before the show, Trevor, typically Matt and I will do a positional breakdown of the previous week. Um, but one of my favorite articles that I that I actually look to every single week is one of yours. It's the the stock report that you put out. It's a defensive and, and offensive breakdown of Michigan. And I thought it would be cool since it's a bye week if we, you know, picked your brain a little bit about who you think who you know whose stock is going up whose stock is going down what the the midseason reports are and before we jump into that uh I did see something notable came out this week Eric All uh sent out a notification that he had what he described as life-changing surgery um I may have missed exactly what it was or what the injury was or it could just be Michigan's being you know th- their usual private selves about this but did you guys pick up exactly what the injury is with with Eric All? Yeah, we've we've been hearing about it for a while, and um, one of the things I respect about Josh a lot, uh, Josh Hensky, publisher of Maze and Blue Review, is we're not looking to profit off of injuries. So um, we tend to respect you know the school family wishes when it comes to stuff like that. So we knew All was going to sit out for about a month um, because the idea was see where he was in a month, and then if surgery was an option or not an option at that point. Um, and unfortunately, obviously he needed to get the surgery. So um, I won't go into it too much because again, not really trying, but he, he does have a, a lower back injury. It sounds like that 
he tried to let heal for a little bit and avoid the surgery and finish out the year. And obviously based on his post looks like he's chosen surgery. So, um, now we'll see, you know, if he chooses to heal and go the NFL route or if he'll come back to Michigan next year. But, um, obviously glad he's gotten the procedure done. Sounds like it went well and just, you know, best wishes to him in recovery. Yeah. And we'll take a look at which tight ends, uh, can step up in his place. And, you know, we know Schoonmaker has already been stepping up, but, you know, Matt was talking about some guys last week after the Penn state game that we got to see more of. And so we'll get into that in our positional breakdown. Let's jump right in. I think the uh, easiest position to to evaluate, maybe uh, which used to be the hardest position to evaluate, is probably the quarterback. We've got our our QB one, JJ McCarthy. Um, he's he started every game except for the first, and he's looked pretty damn good. But I, I think we would all agree, and most Michigan observers would agree, we maybe haven't even seen that last ten or twenty percent of JJ. Right? He's but he's been showing what he's made of but we really haven't seen that that you know unleashed jj yet would you guys agree yeah i mean for sure it's it's that deep ball right it's missing on those 20 plus yard throws um which we know he can hit we saw the cornelius throw when he was running to the sideline last week that 45 yard rope so uh there's just been a couple deep balls to wilson that you know he's missed on that when they come back up again you hope he hits and that's kind of the next level but it's part defensive scheme and part Michigan just doesn't need to do it right now with the, the offense. That yeah, running. I would certainly echo what, what Trevor said again. I mean, that's just a, a similar situation with Cade McNamara, where it's not necessarily Cade McNamara, I feel, that it was just the offense that was kind of uh, forcing this QB play. But again, Michigan hasn't really needed it. They've been very dominant with the type of offense that they've ran so far. So. I'm very impressed with JJ so far, minus a couple, you know, inexperienced type miscues. He's been good. But we knew those were going to happen. So, right, right. You know, he's going to have a chance to redeem himself for uh, the, the turnovers at Michigan State last year. And I, I think this is going to be, uh, even though Michigan State's down this year, this is going to be one of those defining games for him. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, you know seeing him go up, up against the Spartans, which I'll be at the game. I know, Matt, you're going to the game, right? Trevor, are you going to be in the house, or do you? is it easier to kind of analyze these things with a TV set? Like, yeah. where, where are you going to be watching the game? Uh, there's some things I prefer working from home on, and the idea of trying to go home. Uh, if that wasn't a night game, maybe I would have pushed my way, but I'm, I'm just fine taking that one from home. So I live on the west side of the state, so – getting over to the games usually an all day, possibly into the next day affair. So as much as I'd love to take in the game, that place is going to be chaos at about 1130. So. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm bringing my eight month old daughter to her first Ooh. ever Michigan game, Halloween weekend, night game, Michigan state. Like it's going to be rowdy, man. It'll be rowdy. If you make it to the second half, I'll, I'll tell impressed. you what. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she'll be out cold. She'll be. Out. I just want her to see the team run out of the tunnel, and then she'll be sleeping on mom for sure. Uh, so Davis Warren seems to be the guy that I've noticed uh, you've put as our number two. Trevor, is that? Do you see him as our 
our all-around number two quarterback? If if that's if if Cade is not dressed, is that our guy? So I always try to do the stock report from a perspective of current performance and then potential, right? Not necessarily just a straight depth chart. Um, and that's why Davis Warren always rates so high for me because I can't find anybody to say anything but raving reviews about Davis Warren. Um, we obviously know you know, what he went through batting, battling an illness when he was younger and just his character. And then now his talent, right? He would have been a high four-star QB recruit probably had he been able to play through high school. So what's going to matter for Michigan is if, if, if you're going to a backup quarterback, they've suggested it's going to be um, – why am I, I want to say Alex Malzoon. Why can't I think of his name? Texas A&M transfer, or uh, Texas Tech transfer. Why can't I think of his name? Oh my gosh, I can't either right now. Um, let's move past that. Oh. Come to me. Anyway, Alan yeah, number Bowman. 15, Texas Tech transfer. I don't know why I can't think of his name. Thank Bowman. you. Bowman, oh, Alex oh, oh. Bowman, Alex Bowman. <laughs> oh, Alan Bowman. That was crazy. Yeah. Alex Alan Ma- Bowman. Yeah, Alex <laughs> Malzoon was in my head and I couldn't get rid of it. Anyway, they've suggested, uh, they've suggested that his experience would probably lead to him. So I'm guessing if it was like player needed to start the whole game or whatever, I, I don't know. Sometimes they say that. But Warren's talent is, uh, I mean, he's got potential to be a starting quarterback for Michigan in 24 or 25, right? The question will be long term, does he pursue to go start somewhere else next year? Or is he happy being the backup to JJ next year and then potentially taking the reins after that? So. Um, but I mean, since the spring game on, every time we've seen him, you can see Dave, there's that it factor with the QB, that little extra pop with their throw, uh, just the way they stand in the pocket and, you know, the eye test part Davis has got. And then you can't beat the kid's character um, aside from not being on the field a ton. The value he brings to the team in the QB room is massive. So he's he's just been my number two QB since Cade went. Yeah, and, and, you know, Michigan's one of those rare schools where if we wanted to, we could evaluate eight quarterbacks because we've gotten so many into the game this season. But I think the only other one to, you know, really touch on uh, here is probably Alex Orgy. He's the one that's shown he can be dynamic with his legs. Uh, we, we know we've seen an orgy in the end zone, as uh, <laughs> RG3 would say, you know, so he, he definitely has the ability to, to score. Um, Alex Orgy is, is, uh, seemingly a dynamic player. We haven't really seen him throw the ball much, but, uh, he seems to be able to get into to live game action. He's an interesting player for me because almost immediately once he committed, I was like, make him a linebacker. <laughs> so, um, I mean, obviously we know what his brother does at Vanderbilt, but I mean, if you see Orgy in person, the dude is just an absolute tank. So I've kind of before the season was just like, eh, you know, they'll let a player run a quarterback, but he's going to change positions eventually. And now it's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe they, you know, they've got him in that third or fourth spot and they've talked about having packages tailored to him. So for this season, yeah, he needs to be in there because they could put him out there in a short yardage situation. We've seen it and they've suggested they could do it again. Um, Long term, man, I don't know. Because like you said, we haven't seen him throw the ball and I, I don't know if that potential is there or if, down the road, we will see a change, whether it's to being a big body running back or over to the defensive side of the ball. But they've used him quite a bit this year. I mean, obviously, Denegal hasn't seen the field. Those two freshman QBs coming in together. So, and yeah, when he runs the ball, man, <laughs> it's just, it's a bowling Michigan ball. Michigan awesome. Uh, oh, it sorry, feels Mike. like they're setting up. And a- Michigan just has shown, shown a tremendous ability Go ahead, Matt. Go to ahead. be able to uh, take those 
those players that have been locked into those positions for a long time and just kind of shift their dynamic and make them excellent as a University of Michigan player. I mean, you see what they've done with, with Mike Barrett. It's been incredible. Exactly. Yeah, they're not scared to let him throw the ball either. That was the night, you know, having him in punt packages. We've seen a couple fakes with him where he's run it or thrown it. So, yeah, he was looking at either being the QB for Georgia Tech or coming to Michigan. So I'd argue some of his progression got slowed just by the change of defensive coordinator, though. Michael Barrett's our last Viper left remaining. So he was tailored to a position we no longer have. And then he had some injuries last year, and he's overcome some adversity to be a solid contributing will linebacker this year. So, yeah, that's a great call out. That's that's who I thought of with Orgy as well was like that's probably his path. Um, I just think he'd be an absolute beast linebacker. He could be a good quarterback. I think he'd be a really, really good linebacker. And well, I think we'll see with recruiting, right? We've got some five stars on the, on our radar that, that may or may not come in in the next couple of years. And that may dictate um, some of those position changes, depending on who's available. Very similar to what we saw with Mike Sandra still, right? We were loaded at receiver and we decided to to repurpose him. And that turned out turned out great um let's move on to the running backs i i think this is uh one of the more exciting positions that we can talk about there's the obvious uh lightning and lightning and and matt i'm going to start with you on this one uh we've talked a little bit about blake corum and donovan edwards but uh, what is your we'll call it mid-season assessment we knew they were going to be good but uh d- did you think they were going to be this good i think the I don't know if I want to call it a surprise, but maybe the part that's exceeded my expectations has been how easily Blake Corum has been able to transition into that bell cow type role, right? He's had 25 plus carries in every single Big Ten game. Michigan usually doesn't do that. I remember when Charbonnet had the 30 plus carries against Army, it was like after that, shut him down. You know, no more than 10 a game. What do we, you know, we have to have four or five backs touch the ball. And there was a lot of talk this offseason about who was going to be the third down back. Would A.J. Henning get tailback snaps, et cetera? And Michigan's just real comfortable leaning on that lightning and lightning duo. So, yeah, I think now that Edwards is healthy, right, we saw in the Penn State game what that duo can really look like. And we're going to see more Edwards in the receiving game as well. Um, I don't mean to minimize his ability as a runner. We've seen it. He can be a runner. Um, but his receiving talent is next level too. So, you know, getting him outside or in the slot and in motion and, and breaking some tendencies and playing with the opponent, you know, and as far as defensive scheme goes, he's going to be such a weapon in the back half of the schedule. Yeah, and then, we, we you know, we look at some of the other guys that have gotten some snaps at running back. Uh, C.J. Stokes, who we saw fumble the ball a few games ago and he didn't see any action. It was nice to get him back in the game, you know, before, because you know we're going to need this guy in big moments down the road. And it was nice to get him back in the game, you know, and get him some carries after that fumble. Um, so so CJ Stokes we've seen a little bit of, and Isaiah Gash. Um, Trevor, who would you consider our number three guy at this point? Oh, it's Stokes by a mile. Um, you don't want to fumble when Mike Hart's your football coach, right? <laughs> so they know he's a freshman. They didn't need him. They were able to kind of give him that doghouse treatment. Luckily saw a few carries against Penn State and he looked fired up and he was, he wanted to score so, so bad at the end of that game. So um, just another great character guy that this team loves a lot. Um, I don't know if you remember when he committed and um, actually even cried, just, just overwhelmed with the emotion of committing to Michigan. So 
he, he's a really, really good kid. Again, only a freshman, but we've seen little flashes where his skill set matches pretty nicely to what Quorum and Edwards can do. Obviously not at that level yet, but I agree with you. I think we're going to need him. Um, and then I wouldn't be shocked if, again, I brought up AJ Heading before. I, I can't believe how little he's been used. I'm sure we'll get into that. But I wouldn't be shocked if, if he gets a couple tailback, tailback carries as well. But yeah, Stokes is the third running back right now. Moving on to the wide receivers. Um, you know, I think it's a little difficult to identify on a game by game basis who the number one wide receiver is. But if I was going to to nail it down based on what we've seen, uh, Ronnie is probably the guy. Um, not that it matters. You don't really have to have a number one receiver, right? Cause you get more than one of them on the field at a time. Uh, Ronnie and Roman seem to be the most consistent. And then, uh, Trevor in your most recent post Penn state stock report, you moved Cornelius Johnson and, and Andrell Anthony up. And then I think the most mysterious, uh, situation that we've seen over the past two weeks is AJ Henning is really not getting the looks on offense that we thought he would he gets the ball in on special teams but coming into the season we were told he's going to be in the backfield he's going to be running the ball he's going to be catching the ball he's going to be everywhere and so we were all daydreaming about donovan edwards and aj henning packages and and uh we we really haven't seen much of that what what do you attribute that to yeah i'm not 100 percent sure the guy's an absolute home run hitter every time he touches the ball he's getting 15 plus yards right so I have to lean into the they haven't done it because they don't need to category, I guess. But to the level that he he had one carry in the backfield and then he's got I don't have it in front of me, but it's single digit targets. Obviously, it's not very many. Um, So, yeah, it's not the first time we've heard a player get hyped a bunch coming out of camp and then not really see it in the season. Right. But Henning is a former top wide receiver recruit. He's in his junior season. He has a relationship with J.J. McCarthy. I, I would have anticipated you know, a lot more usage early. I do think we'll see him again. But yeah, at this point, it's not anywhere near what we expected. Um, and a lot of that's the run game, too. They've really, identity-wise, Michigan has kind of gone back to what they did last year in a lot of ways. And Cornelius Johnson, Ronnie Bell, and Roman Wilson just happen to be the three best blocking wide receivers on this team. So... I think that's probably a big part of it too. And we've seen a lot of two tight end sets as well. So I do think you're going to see some Henning Edwards on the field at the same time motion and some confusing things like that, but it's going to feel more gadgety than, you know, a part of the offense like we expected. Right. We're not getting the Debo Samuel no. uh, looks that we expected from, from AJ and the other head scratcher uh, beyond AJ Henning for the entire fan base, I think, has been Andrell, right? We we thought, uh, especially after Michigan State last year, and we saw that this like Braylon esque stat line from Andrell last year, and we were thinking like, oh my god, here we go. He's wearing the number one. He looks the part. We're all excited. And then this season, we you know, it's not that he's played bad. He just hasn't really gotten the looks. And I don't know. Maybe this is another one of those situations where uh like you were saying trevor we just haven't needed him we haven't really needed to use him so we haven't seen him much yeah the difference for me between anthony and henning is it feels like michigan wants to get andrell involved henning we just haven't seen it where andrell's been out there there's been some deep looks to him he did have the one really good grab uh last week 
the Indiana game was kind of the final moment for me because with Wilson out, Henning started the first half playing in the slot. And then by the second half, they had moved Ronnie Bell back to the slot and played Anthony outside. So that's been the biggest thing that's hurt Anthony. And I think people need to understand that has been what Michigan did this year was move Roman Wilson to the slot. I thought with Bell back, he was going to play outside last year before he got hurt. I thought with Bell back, he would move back to the slot. And then Andrell and Roman were going to be splitting those outside reps. With Wilson in the slot, now Andrell's trying to get time from either Cornelius Johnson or Ronnie Bell. And again, if you're not going to be one of the better blocking receivers on the team, it's going to be really hard to take snaps from those guys. So I do think we're going to see some more four wide looks and stuff like that where he gets more involved. But that's really been what's been keeping Andrell off the field has been more of a you know depth chart change in terms of the way they're using the receivers, whereas Henning just doesn't feel like he's got a place in the offense. So. Now, speaking of, of pass catchers blocking downfield, let's move on to the tight ends because one thing that I've, I've noticed um, with Luke Schoonmaker, who's clearly taken the place of Eric All, uh, Eric All, team captain, uh, went down with an injury. We, we let off the show talking about that. And Schoonmaker, from a pass catching standpoint, um, has been all over the place. I mean, he's been everything that we desired in a pass catching tight end. And Trevor, I'm wondering if you've uh, seen from a, bl- a blocking standpoint, does he stack up with Eric All, or does it? You know, is is he coming in a little bit uh, less effective? You know, at moments when they were both playing, especially now, we know All was probably dealing with the injury at the beginning of the season as well. Uh, Schoonmaker was grading out as a better blocker. Um, he he's just got to get a little bit more consistent, which he is because he's playing more, but. Schoonmaker will have an incredible block, whether it's on pin and pull or as a lead blocker. And then he'll have one where you're like, hey, he didn't really need to be there, right? Or oh, he missed that guy. So he just hasn't been consistent enough yet to be at the level all was, but he's been really, really good. And then in terms of, you know, a pass catcher, yeah, he's probably the number two option right now behind Bell, right? And I think that next level is going to be answering Michigan's problem in the red zone. I think Schoonmaker is that answer. I think they got to start throwing it to them in the end zone when they get inside the 20 and especially inside the 10. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. He's that third down guy. He's that red zone guy. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we really get going with him. He's, he's been really dependable um, as a pass catcher. Um, I think we lost Matt again, but we'll just keep this thing going. One thing Matt was actually excited about uh, last uh, game was that we we got to see Max Bredesen and Colston Loveland uh, on the field at the same time, actually, for some snaps. Um, I see Colston Loveland seems to be moving up as, as far as your most recent stock report would suggest. What have you seen from him that's impressive? Yeah, he is just, he's a freak of an athlete, right? He's more of this modern tight end. Um, <laughs> I before the season started, I brought up the like Kyle Pitts role, and I wasn't trying to say he's going to be Kyle Pitts. That's a pretty lofty comparison. But he's a wide receiver in a really big frame is what Colston Loveland is, right? So the all-injury has kind of accelerated his progression and, and Michigan's you know desire to get him on the field. I think coming out of the bye week, I've been full-on Loveland hype train. I think we're going to start to see him become a big factor in the passing game. Um, He's just a unique talent that can stretch the field. Um, he's only a freshman, but, and again, the all injury has kind of accelerated things, but 
he's going to be an absolute freak. So I, I think he's going to start to become the tight end too, because we've seen him in the Penn State game prior. It was like Honigford was blocking. Bredesen was obviously blocking. And if Loveland was out there, it was a pass. And in the Penn State game, they were asking him to block a little bit. So they're clearly getting more comfortable with him. Um, I can see him in a seam route or an out, whatever. Loveland's going to start getting a couple targets every game, I think. And he'll be the tight end too behind Schoonmaker. And it, it really feels like there's not as much of a drop-off as we we would have expected losing Eric All and, and Cade McNamara for that matter, right? Like if, if you told any team, listen, both of your team, you know, offensive team captains are going to go down, uh, that would just be like a devastating omen for any team. But Michigan seems to have, I mean, for the obvious reason at quarterback, but, he, but at tight end as well, we seem to have uh, not missed a beat and, and are able to plug and play some of these uh, tight ends. Yeah, I don't know the politics of the Joe Moore Award, if like they don't like doing back-to-back years or anything like that, but they're better this year than they were last year. That That's just a fact. So if if they go into Columbus and bully them anything like they did last year, and you tell me there's a better offensive line in the country, then okay, but I won't believe you. So again, I don't know the politics of the award, but the trajectory they're on right now, they're better than they were last year. So well, politics aside, I have no fear when it comes to making bold predictions on the <laughs> Big House Bleachers podcast. I 1,000% guarantee Michigan's O-line wins the Joe Moore again, and we get another one of those massive trophies in the in the facility that we're going to have to like find a place for. It's like the college football's largest possible trophy um, you know, in the weight room. Let, let's move to the other side of the ball which was a question mark coming into the season, and now it's just an exclamation point. Um, the D-line. Uh, you know, Mike Morris seems to be the stud. I, I think we would all agree that he's the stud, but my favorite play of the entire year when it comes to the D-line was Iyabi Oki, uh, known as Iyabi Anoma at the time. Uh, his very first snap at Michigan because he he was the one guy that we didn't know what we had. We knew we had a five-star caliber talent, but we didn't really know how he was going to fit in. And for him to come in his first play and get a sack and then continue to, imp- to improve throughout the season, uh, for me, I'm a big Oki fan. Oki's my guy. Um, what do you guys think? You know, is, uh, obviously Morris and Oki on the edge. Um, but then we got a few other guys, you know, Taylor Upshaw actually started to rebound after some criticism. So, uh, Trevor, we'll start with you. What, it, what is, uh, your kind of most recent notes, uh, on the edge? Yeah. So Morris, you know, the question all off season, who replaces Hutch, who replaces Ajabo, right? And I kept saying the Ajabo thing needs to be tempered a little bit because people forget he had one career tackle coming into the 21 season. He didn't have his first sack until the game against Wisconsin. Right. So we didn't know Hutchinson was going to be the number two pick. Like he was going to have that kind of season. We knew he was probably late first, early second. Right. And then with uh, Jabo, nobody even knew who he was. We thought he was battling with Upshaw for the spot. So I said, give the defensive line time. Let's see what develops. And Mike Morris, who I just didn't think he had this in him. Right. Like he seemed like more of a wormly type guy and now he's out there matching hutch so far in terms of pace in the season so he's been fantastic uh oki showing up halfway through camp right i 
I think I said, yeah, like I wanted to see if he could get to like an Uche third down type role. And he had that, like you said, first or second game of the year. So his rise has been incredible. Now he's kind of on that Ojabo patch. And then um, I think Jalen Harrell at the start of the year was a real stud in the pass rush. He's starting to kind of settle back into more of his role impacting the run game, but he's been phenomenal. And then, uh, yeah, Derek Moore is the other name that I'm really watching because he's starting to come on. He's only a freshman again, but again, another just athletic freak to kind of spell um, Morris a little bit. And then, yeah, Upshaw, who they were challenging Upshaw more early on because Oki hadn't come up yet and Moore was still a freshman and they kind of wanted Upshaw to be that third guy. And it just didn't seem to be working out. He's kind of settled into the role that was very similar to what he had last year and he's thriving. So less opportunities, but more impact. So he seems really comfortable and he's starting to show his best game now. What's up with Braden McGregor? It's, it seems like we, we expected a little bit more from him this season. You know, it, we haven't really seen the, the breakout that, that a lot of us expected. He, Ian, you know, what, what, what is your assessment of Braden? I don't want to hypothesize this because I don't know, but um, that knee injury he suffered at the end of high school was gruesome, right? It was a very serious, I mean, he tore basically everything he could in that knee. It was a long, you know, long recovery. um, And that's obviously delayed his progression to develop at the school. So this was going to be the year that was like, okay, let's see Braden go. And he's shown early on in the season, he showed flashes. He looked like he was just almost there, right? but it felt like he was just missing a step and we still haven't really seen that come on. I hope it will. I don't want to peg him as the injury is the problem. Cause I don't know that. And that's not fair, but it's just kind of looks like that might be what it is, is that he's just never going to get back to what that potential was. Part of it is he's just buried behind elite guys right now. Right. Would I be shocked if he pulls a Makari page and becomes the best edge rusher next year? No. Uh, but right now it just looks like he's just missing a step and these other guys are outperforming him. So he's just kind of slipped back. Yeah. And then we kind of move on into the interior of that line. Uh, Mozzie Smith, number one on the freaks list coming in, you know, Chris Jenkins, who pleasantly has been improving, uh, still. And and those are kind of our, that's our one, two punch on the D line. Uh, you know, and I, I think midsummer, we we might not have put Mason Graham in that same category, but now we're starting to see enough out of him to where uh, true freshman Mason Graham is in there playing with the big boys. Um, what do you guys think about him? Yeah, what Graham is doing is unbelievable. It's just it's not normal for a freshman at a position like that to not only contribute early at the level he's contributing, and then he's bullying offensive linemen. We've seen a couple of plays where he's literally just throwing a guard down, right? So every former player I've talked to when they try to explain to me the transition, high school, college, whatever, that's the biggest thing they talk about is most offensive linemen aren't early starters. They're sophomores, excuse me, they're juniors, they're seniors. They've been in a college weight program for three years they're grown men and you're an 18 year old boy. You just can't match up with those dudes, talent or not. So for him to come in physically able to not only compete with these offensive linemen, again, Iowa and some of these big dudes, right? But to play as well as he has, it's, it's unbelievable. He's going to be one of the steals of that recruiting class. I wonder, you know, in a non COVID world, 
if he would have been rated a five star and one of the top 10 or 15 players in the country because he was probably the best player in California. And if you're the best player in California, you're usually pretty good. So I think he just kind of stuck under the radar for Michigan's benefit. But yeah, Mason Graham, man, he's been unbelievable. And then when we move on to the, you know, the tackling machine, Junior Colson at linebacker, uh, that's, that's been amazing to see. Michael Barrett, who we mentioned earlier, is, is uh, looking really good. And then, uh, you know, Jimmy Rolder was getting some snaps. Uh, Khalil Mullings uh, getting in there, getting some action. Um, you guys got any brief snapshots on, on the linebacking core? Yeah, there's... There's been some opportunities there, right? That's probably the weakest unit. Actually, it's, it's definitely, it's not even probably, it's the, the weakest unit in this defense right now because they've been attacked in the pass game, right, in coverage. And then with Hill Green being out all year, they just haven't had the depth there. Rolder is playing like a freshman should. I think guys like Mason Cram maybe skew our perspective, right? That's a tough position to come in and be a freshman. We saw it with Colson last year too. So I think the answer for the linebacker is probably going to come from other positions, right? We're seeing Jalen Harrell get used a little bit differently, Makari Page, and then RJ Moten is kind of an interesting prospect in fitting into the linebacker spot as well with his six foot, 230 pound frame. He's kind of being used more like a linebacker too. So I was surprised uh, Penn State didn't pick on Colson and Barrett more in pass coverage. They were dropping back. Uh, Michigan's going to have to find some scheme to kind of offset that. But considering what they've been thrown into, where basically those two have to play nearly every snap, I think they've done pretty well. But yeah, it's probably, if there's a question mark on the defense, that's where it's at still. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned dropping back in coverage. That's a good segue into the secondary. Um, my, my real question, if, you know, with with the cornerbacks going into the Michigan State game is, who do we put on Jaden Reed? I, you know, that's kind of what what I'm thinking about. Jamon Green has been this really pleasant surprise. Uh, you know, DJ Turner. We I, I was calling him a preseason All American. I really thought DJ Turner had All American vibes. Um, he st- still could. Still, I mean, he's playing very well. He's dropped a couple couple interceptions that could have gone to the house this season. Uh, but Jamon Green. Um, may in fact be our number one guy at this point. Trevor, who do you think we put on uh, Jaden Reed? I don't think there's going to be a lock down in any perspective. So it's it's going to be whoever he lines up on. And that's kind of you lead into what's great about the secondary, which is just how good it is, right? So you're right. Green was a guy that in his previous two seasons was a starting CB2 and got challenged and kind of lost his job, lost his job to Turner last year. And all the talk this offseason was, yeah, Green's going to be really good, but Will Johnson, at what point is Will Johnson taking that job? And Green's not only held on to it, like you said, he's been, he's probably Michigan's best corner. I'm so close to moving him up there. <laughs> so um, yeah. Penn State was going away from him last week and targeting Turner instead. So that's where we're at. See, I agree with you on Green, but I think if he, if Reed goes into the slot and Sainer stills there and they have another safety coming over to help, I don't see Michigan changing their game plan to target Reed specifically. I think they're going to play their game and put faith in whichever corners on them. And then it wouldn't be right to move on from this position group without mentioning uh, Mike Sandristill, who's just been all over the place. He's been in the backfield. He's been in coverage. He's been making linebacker style tackles. You know, he's really been 
uh, for a guy that played offense last season, got moved to the defense, there, there seemingly was not this uh, big learning curve that we thought we were going to see. Uh, Mike Sander still is, is right up there in the discussion of like MVP of the defense this season. Um, and any notes on, on Sander still from either guy? I, I was just going to say that. I was thinking in my head, he might be the MVP of the defense. Um, maybe not in stats, but in terms of what he brings, right? All the focus on the Hutch Jabo role. We haven't talked a ton about replacing Dax Hill, and I don't think Michigan has, but Sainer still is as close as it gets, again, in terms of that physicality and getting into the box and consistently grading out as one of the better pass rushers on the team coming from the nickel. I mean, Sainer still has just been a rock star at every level. So, yeah, it's it's important to remember Don Brown recruited Sainer still and wanted him on the defensive side of the ball, and the way he saw the path to the field on offense was because he was a physical wide receiver. Again, blocking is what gets you on the field, right? So coach asked him to switch sides. He's like, you want me to go hit some people? Cool coach. Got it. I think his quote was, if you asked me to play center, I would do it. So yeah, just a team guy. And then honestly, in terms of his future, you know, I don't think he had any NFL potential at wide receiver, but he's starting to get some looks now with what he's doing on the defensive side of the ball. So really just an incredible story, very valuable piece to the defense. And then moving on to the safeties, you know, it's, to me, it's kind of a three-man conversation. We've got Makari, Page, Rod Moore, R.J. Moten, who you mentioned was playing a little bit more like a linebacker. And then uh, one of the other things I love about the stock report is, is you break down snap counts at different parts of the field, which is really cool because for a, a casual layman like myself, I might not always pick up on those things. And then I really get to dig in, but I saw... Quentin Johnson as number four on the stock report and from the safety position, Trevor, uh, I haven't, you know, I haven't seen him much myself, but maybe I'm just not looking hard enough. How, how many snaps has, has Quentin Johnson been getting? Uh, in the last couple of games, he's been getting similar to RJ Moten, which has been really interesting. So I, I didn't realize he changed his number mid season. So when 28 was out there, I'm like, who is that? freshman walk on Joshua Nichols. What? So I was, really, I was really confused at first because he switched from 14 to 28. So once I realized who he was, I was like, oh, okay. You know, Johnson's a guy who also similar to Sainer still played wide receiver, played defensive back, kind of that tweener, didn't really know where he was going to play. And he's kind of a late bloomer. And yeah, he's, he's come on to help a little bit with some of the coverage again, lapses again, but um, yeah, Moten, Falling down, Moten was the guy I kind of projected to lead the safety group, and it it just really hasn't worked out in that way. And again, I think they're kind of adjusting skill set wise, where he's starting to play in the box more. And yeah, Makari Page has kind of taken Moten's spot this year. Yeah, and for the sake of time, let's go ahead and just move right into uh, some of what we saw around the the conference and around the country. Um, Thank you, by the way, Trevor, for that thorough breakdown it's nice to have somebody that spends so much time really breaking down these positions and evaluating which players are going up and which players are going down do you have a few minutes to stay with us we're going to talk a little bit about uh what what we saw going on around the country yeah yeah i'll ride this out let's go sweet um around the conference i i think the most notable game that we saw was Penn State. All I think every Michigan fan became a Penn State fan just briefly over the weekend because we all just desperately wanted them to look good. We knew that Minnesota was a quality opponent. Uh, we knew that 
uh, Penn State could just spiral and look freaking terrible, and then everybody would have all the fuel they needed to say, Michigan still hasn't played anybody. But that's not the Penn State that we got. We got a whiteout um, in Happy Valley. Minnesota stayed close for a little bit, not long, and then Penn State just dominated them, 45-17. to 17. So now Michigan's best win thus far looks like a really good win. Penn State looked like a really good team. Yeah, I was really surprised because I was expecting a letdown. Uh, Franklin is 1-5 in five against P5 opponents coming out of his first loss of the season. So we've just seen that with him where the season starts out well and everybody's talking about how Penn State's the real deal. And then once they lose that first game, the season tends to spiral out of control. So having the night game, the whiteout, you know, maybe that played into it. But props to them for, you know, bouncing back. But the biggest thing for me is just why didn't Penn State play that way against Michigan, even just from a standard scheme and play calling standpoint, right? Clifford had his best game, arguably, against Minnesota, had his worst game probably against Michigan, right? But these freshman backs we kept hearing about, they gave up on the run game so early against Michigan, 28 carries for those two in this one. Again, we've talked about Michigan's linebackers and some of their pass coverage weakness. Anticipated Penn State using their tight ends. They didn't. They did against Minnesota. So I don't know if they were just trying to be the smartest man in the room against Michigan or what, but this game felt like they went back to being Penn State and really bought into what they wanted to be, and it was a big win. It was good for Michigan. Um, I may have trolled some MSU fans with a tweet last night regarding that, but um, <laughs> in terms of the resume, yeah, if you're, maybe it won't matter at the end of the day. You're going 11-0 to Columbus. That's still got to be the goal, but yeah, I think it's a little validating because we heard what a big game Michigan-Penn State was going to be, and then immediately the narrative switched to how Penn State is trash and the win wasn't good, right? So kind of nice to see, hey, Penn State actually is a really good team, and what Michigan did was legit. Yeah, and I would argue that that's what a good team does is it makes you go away from your scheme, right? That that uh, True. Penn State going away from what, what works uh, is really just a, a testament to Michigan uh, either confusing them or bullying them or a little bit of both. You know, I, it, it felt like we made them go away from, from that. And then um, just a, a little strength of schedule call out that's kind of hilarious uh, – did you guys see that Colorado State and Hawaii played each other uh, last week? And so it, the beauty in that is one of them had to win, right? And so it's just like a little little tiny strength of schedule bump right there. I, to be honest with you, I couldn't even tell you who won the game. I just know that one of them had to. I, I, I would guess Colorado State 17 to 13. I, yep. I don't even know. Yeah, I think it was 17 to 13 Colorado yeah, State. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I scrolled across that last night too, and I'm like, <laughs> Oh, that's funny that that game even happened. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, if we're going to talk about our, our, you know, I was going to say friends, but that's not, that's not the right verbiage to use. If we're going to talk about our, our, our folks down in Columbus, um, the Buckeyes, you know, they obliterated Iowa 54 to 10. And, and what we've been hearing uh, specifically from some prominent people. I'm talking about you, RJ Young. I'm coming for you, RJ Young. Um, that Ohio State scored 54 points on Iowa, and they only gave up 10, and Michigan only scored 27, but they gave up 13. There's your head-to-head comparison. Ohio State is clearly better than, than Michigan. And you know, I, I'll hit you with a Lee Corso not so fast because – that's not how you can compare teams. Everybody knows that there's a, 
an, uh, a matchup component and, and any given day that these, these games can have a personality of their own. Using that logic, you can take, well, Georgia won against Kent State about like 39 to 22. Well, Washington beat Kent State, you know, like 45 to 20 or something like that. And, and so does that mean that Washington's better than Georgia? Like, no, none of us would say that. And so it's, it, it's flawed logic to take two games that happened at different dates, had different personalities, different matchups, and say, here's your clear head-to-head comparison. The good news is on November 26th, we're going to get an actual head-to-head comparison and see who the better team is. Yeah, RJ Young is paid for reactions, not for critical football analysis, right? So, uh, yeah, trying to do the transitive property thing with college football, you don't get much more casual than that. So, And as far as undefeated teams go around the country, uh, we're at the point now where there's six total. We had Ole Miss go down, UCLA goes down, uh, Syracuse goes down to Clemson, which was infuriating but based on the, the, the way that that game played out. Um, I actually predicted last week that Syracuse would beat Clemson, and I was feeling like a genius for about three quarters, and then my hopes and dreams got shattered in the fourth. Um, but we got six, you know, six teams, and and I it basically out of these six undefeated teams, five of them make a whole lot of sense, and then there's an outlier. Um, we kind of knew we would have two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams at this point in the season, and then Clemson. Right. We didn't know that that was going to be Tennessee. Right. We didn't know that that would be the SEC team. But but still, nevertheless, those five make sense. The team that's all of a sudden putting together a really impressive resume for the college football playoff is TCU. They've now won uh, four straight Big 12 games against ranked opponents ranked at the time. I mean, OU has since spiraled and um, and whatnot. But uh have you guys gotten your eyes on TCU at all this season? Yeah, a little bit. Um, the Sonny Dykes hire made almost too much sense with him being right there in Dallas at SMU, so that was pretty obvious. And I don't know what happened with Gary Patterson there and that program, but yeah, Dykes has flipped a switch, and it's like just immediately went right back to the peak of the Patterson era. So their their quarterback, uh, uh, Max, I'm going to butcher his last name, so I'm not going to say it, but their quarterback's a pretty incredible story. and. He's another one of those. I mean, Harbaugh would love it. Just overcoming adversity, guys, and now really thriving. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they stay on this role, what they might do to be a, uh, you know, a buster, if you will, come playoff time in terms of maybe sneaking in. You know, some people have thought about could Michigan get in with a loss to Ohio State or vice versa? Is there a situation for two Big Ten teams? If you've got an undefeated TCU sneaking around there, it's interesting. Let's move on to our pump the brakes segment. And uh, Trevor, did you prepare a couple? You t- I know you're not a hot takes guy, but did you prepare a couple takes for this segment for us? They'll probably be mild on your scale, All right, so but the I've way got a that couple. This works. <laughs> awesome. The, the way that this works is uh, you, you have an opportunity to give a either controversial or slightly unpopular pick, and then uh, we'll open the floor to either of the other two guys to say pump the brakes, which obviously means, you know, chill out. That's not going to happen. I will go ahead and lead. Last week, I went ahead and predicted that Syracuse would beat Clemson. And then as I was watching that game, I saw a lot of the ways that Clemson is, is vulnerable. So 
this week, but actually it's two weeks from now, so we won't find this out for two weeks because Clemson has a bye. But I am predicting that the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, the same Notre Dame Fighting Irish that lost to Marshall, are going to find a way to upset the Clemson Tigers. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm torn because they're in another situation similar to the Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence thing, right? Where the freshman came on this week. So I'll be real interested to see how they handle that QB situation. Uh, I hate saying Notre Dame's going to be the team to do it, but I do think Clemson's going to drop a game. They should have lost this game to Syracuse. Um, that's a team that's beaten them in the past. I don't know why they took the foot off the gas the way, the way they did, but if Clemson was in any other conference, they wouldn't be up where they are right now. I was not surprised, but I thought they had no business jumping Michigan in the poll a few weeks ago. They're just not the teams that Dabo has had in the past. So um, will Notre Dame do it? Sure. Why not? I'll get on the board with it. Trevor, what you got? So again, I've got one that's more national and then one more local, but they're both Michigan-based. So the bigger picture one, I think whoever wins Michigan versus Ohio State will also determine who wins the Heisman Trophy, C.J. Stroud or Blake Corum. That, that's a keep driving for me. I'm not pumping the brakes on that. I, I think that is, that is a li- very likely scenario. All right, heading into my next one. This one might not be too too controversial on this pod, but it's uh, a sentiment that I've already alluded to. Um, I believe that based on resume, and if if you if you take the logo off of the helmet, um, that TCU should be ranked higher than Clemson. I feel very strongly TCU should be ranked higher than Clemson right now. I'm keep driving on that one. I agree completely, but I'm. I'm probably more down on Clemson than most people are. So um, just, again, NC State, Wake Forest, like these teams that have started to rise in the ACC, that's the best that the ACC has right now. But that's just because those are their second and third best teams. I don't think those make great wins, right? NC State and the Big Ten or SEC, Wake Forest, vice versa. They're not playing at the level they are now. So I just I don't see it with Clemson this year. I really don't. So I agree with you. TCU has been very impressive, and I think Clemson's overrated. All right, Mr. McHugh, hit me with a spicy take. What do you got? <laughs> Again, probably mild, but we'll see. Um, it's, mine's going to be Michigan-related. It's pretty much all I – I don't get as much national stuff as I do Michigan. So I think we were talking about wide receivers earlier, kind of what's been happening there. I think as early as this coming game against Michigan State, but at some point very soon, Darius Clemens is going to have an Andrell Anthony-type breakout welcoming party for the Wolverines. Multiple big plays, multiple catches, lots of yards, and probably a touchdown or two. I'm going to hit you with a unenthusiastic pump the brakes. <laughs> and what I mean by that is there's nothing I would love to see more then Darius Clemens have a breakout performance. But I'm just not sold that it's going to happen. I think we might have to wait until next year to see that. And so mine is a, an, uh, I hope I'm wrong, unenthusiastic, pump the brakes. 
Um, we're about to get to Michigan State before we wrap this thing up, but I always like to open the floor up for our by the numbers segment. And this is just an opportunity if anybody has an interesting stat that they want to bring to the table. Um, mine for this week is, you know, say what you want about PFF. Uh, they're, sometimes they're hit or miss, I think. But for me, I love them because it's just extra data. I like more data sets, more numbers. More, more stuff to play with. Something that stuck out to me is that, uh, I, you know, I, I ran the numbers on Michigan's pass blocking. And a very surprising name came up as the number one pass blocker for Michigan. It was none other than our Heisman candidate running back, Blake Corum. He has an 86.5 pass blocking grade, according to PFF, which, is, which puts him as the number one guy on the team. Yeah, that was another big question in terms of what was going to happen with the running backs this year and losing Hassan Haskins was the pass protection. Hassan Haskins was really, really good at picking up blitzes. Um, and part of the reason Quorum has been out there as much as he has is he's taken a huge leap. He's been very, very improved in terms of when he stays back and picking up a blitz or you know adding the extra help. And Edwards actually had a really good blitz pickup last week as well. So they both have played pretty well. Um I mean, he's obviously not the best <laughs> pass blocker, but based on opportunities, yeah, he's done really, really well. I think people forget how strong that little dude is, man. He's he's a, a wall when he needs to be. Yeah, yeah. And do you have any uh, any statistics that are just on your heart that you feel like you need to share with us today? I think the, again, back to the receivers, That's I spent so much time talking about the receivers this offseason and how, you know, eight, nine, 10 deep, how is Michigan going to use all these different receivers? I think my frustration for years under Harbaugh is we've never really seen Michigan focus on one, two or three guys. It's always, if anything, they've over rotated the position, right? Ronnie Bell has double the targets of Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson combined. That's just shocking to me to see one receiver get that level of attention you know, we thought, especially with JJ, if anything, it was going to be the other guys more. And even, you know, some of the dudes he has some established relationship with. So seeing Bell just be clearly wide receiver one in terms of targets and receptions, right? You could definitely make the case for Roman with his potential. But yeah, to see that level of target share and then to have that huge drop off after the top three guys to Anthony and Henning. Yeah, double the targets for Bell to the number two and number three receivers has been really surprising to me. Yeah, I, I actually didn't realize it was that lopsided. That's a really good stat. And it just shows you the trust that the coaching staff has in Ronnie. And it's a reminder to us that he really is this wide receiver one premier talent. I think we forget that he came, came out of high school as a three star and was kind of under the radar. And, and then he got hurt last season. So we didn't really get to see everything he was made of. But but I mean, this guy reminds us on a regular basis that he, I mean, he is a, a premier wide receiver and the coaches clearly uh, have trust in him. So hopefully he has a good game against Michigan State. Speaking of, of Sparty, um, let, let's wrap up with, you know, I don't know if you're a score prediction kind of guy, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to tease one out of you here, Trevor. What is your score prediction for Michigan State versus Michigan this weekend? Yeah, we always do uh, a prediction series the night before the game, and I always have to get a score out. And yeah, I'm not a big score guy, so I'm usually like, 
all right, what's the betting line over under? Let me do the math real quick. And then that's, <laughs> you know, and if I think that's in line, I'll guess it. But I tend to, you know, favor Michigan for a bigger blowout than most of the betting lines do. So um, for this one, I think it's going to look a lot like 2019. I, I think Michigan State's going to come out. It's a rivalry game. They're going to play up. They're going to be fired up. It's probably going to be a closer first quarter, maybe even second quarter than Michigan would like. Maybe it'll feel like they're dominating, but the score won't represent it. Not as dramatic as what happened with Penn State, hopefully. Something like that. And then Michigan's just going to pull away to, again, 44-10 was 2019. So let's just, I'll go with the exact same score. I think it's going to be that kind of game. Man, you you and I are on the same page here. So I don't trust anything going into a Michigan State game. Right. I've, I've been watching these games. I've been watching these games long enough to know that I like it. A triple overtime would not even surprise me in this in this moment because you throw records out the window, you throw stats out the window. But I do get the feeling that Michigan is set up to just dominate this game. And the 2022 version of the Michigan Wolverines, they like to make us sweat in the first half and then just dominate the second half. So. I think we'll see something around 14 to three in the first half. And then I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to swing for the fences. Michigan 49, Michigan State three. That's my final score, score prediction. That, that would be a good one for, uh, for the recruiting trail too, for sure. I mean, 2020 and 21 were just gifts to Mel Tucker playing the highlights of those games every time recruits come around. So if Michigan wins close, a W is a W, you'll take it. But in terms of long-term trajectory, you know, you'd, you'd really like to see Michigan blow them out here and make a big statement for an in-state rival. Yeah, we, Paul Bunyan is, is coming home. Uh, <laughs> Trevor, thank you so much. It was really nice to get to know you, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, before we sign off today, let people know where they can find you if, if they're interested in, in checking out some of your articles. Yeah, man. For, thank you for having me. I, you know, I appreciate it. I was excited to have the conversation and then, you know, I appreciate your support online too, as well. You've been a big pusher of my stuff. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm at Twitter at Trevor McHugh, M double C U E. I'm obviously working for Michigan rivals. Maze and blue review is the name of our site. So you can find us at michigan.rivals.com. We're at Michigan rivals on Twitter and, uh, our YouTube channel. We're, we're constantly running similar podcasts. The thing I'm really, really proud of is our film review show uh, called Cut Ups. I do that with Steven Toski, and we just sit down and go over film analysis um, every week of the previous game. Just, you know, either clutch drives or, you know, game defining moments or whatever. We spend about an hour going through the film. And I think I know a lot about football and X's and O's, and Toski just blows my mind every week. Just super informative show. And, and we try to be interactive. We have we do it live so people can comment and we try to respond in real time and, and answer people's questions while we're doing the film review. So well, that is Trevor McHugh. I'm Michael Smeltzer. My partner in crime had some technical difficulties. Matt Hartwell's not with us. He fell off, but it doesn't matter. You can't stop us at the Big House Bleachers podcast. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week. As always, go blue. <laughs>